Amen. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. As we continue our Bible Truth series, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. We just uh, use that as a springboard to get things kicked off. We want to stick, uh, I know some of you, if I deviated from tradition, you just might have a heart attack tonight. If I didn't read a scripture prior to preaching, you wouldn't though, would you? You're used to that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. I hope you have your Bible tonight. Well, I tell you what, I'm glad I wasn't one of those guys up here. I mean to tell you, I had to look as foolish as they did. I don't, man, I'll tell you what. Wow. Guys, you got more guts than me. Oh, man. That, have anybody ever tried to do that? Ladies, you did a great job. No, I'm just joking with the guys. They did great. Uh, the truth is, if I'd have been up there, I couldn't, I'd have been totally lost. I could have never gotten back on track. Once I got off track, I'd have just been in left field somewhere. I'd have probably balled up in the fetal position and just laid there and cried. Uh, so I'm just glad I wasn't up there. But, uh, boy, that's tough to do, to have it that, that nailed down that well. So great job, both of you. But ladies, congratulations, you did fabulous. All right, 1 John 5, 7. <clears throat> For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, again, we've been addressing and dealing with the Holy Spirit, and uh, we've been asking a series of questions in order to kind of identify His work uh, throughout history, if you will. We asked, what part did the Holy Spirit play in creation? When it was all said and done, we somewhat summarized that by simply saying, well, He imparted life. We asked the next question. We said, what part did the Holy Spirit play in the Old Testament overall? Again, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was mainly to empower men for, uh, uh, for some special work. He'd come upon them, and then he could leave them. And again, we're very blessed, as we mentioned, and we'll note here, not tonight so much, but in the future, 
how today we don't have to deal with that. Like David said, you know, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We needn't ever ask that, uh, make that statement to God because he's with us always. He lives in us and he dwells in us and takes up residency in us. And for that, we're grateful. But in the Old Testament, he came upon and sometimes he left those. And in many cases, he did. And uh, we note that in the Old Testament. But we finally landed then, as we began last week, we asked this question. We said, <clears throat> well, um, I'll find it here in a second. My notes are getting stuck together. What part did the Holy Spirit play during the incarnation of Christ? And as we begin talking about the incarnation, we're talking about the fact that God became man or flesh, if you will, took on the form of, of man. He became man. He was God manifest in the flesh, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Matter of fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, so the only begotten of the Father. So we recognized that, and we said, okay, so what part did the Holy Spirit play in, in relationship to the incarnation of Christ? And we said he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That means he was supernaturally conceived. We said, number two, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then we finally landed on and ended with, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested. And we spent our time dealing and addressing that issue last week. Now, tonight I want to begin by saying what part did the Holy Spirit play during the incarnation? Well, he performed all his mighty works by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ performed all his mighty works by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to really focus on tonight as we continue our series. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. Thank you again for your grace and your mercy, your love in our lives. Lord, we can't thank you enough. And Lord, we're so grateful, Father, that you are living in us and that, Father, we have the privilege of a relationship with you like none other. And Lord, uh, thank you, Father, for just all that you've done for us. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And tonight, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts. May you walk these aisles, do a work in our lives. Holy Spirit of God, anoint me and my lips and enable me to proclaim your truth in a way that it's Christ-honoring, that will ultimately bring glory to you. Lord, uh, we need to meet with you, the Master, not with a mere man tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So Christ performed all his mighty works in the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The Bible says, The Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now again, we notice again, let's read it one more time, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now Cornelius was a centurion, and he was a devout man, the Bible says. He was one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And God would have him send for Peter. And when he sent for Peter, Peter would ultimately show up and share with him exactly what he needed. He arrives there at Cornelius' house and he preaches the word of God to him. 
And we read in the book of Acts chapter 10, 38, just a portion of the message that Peter had shared with him. Now again, we see how Peter describes the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here in the passage that he says how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And he says that God was with him. Now again, we know that the Messiah was formally announced to, uh, to the nation by John the Baptist. We often remember reading about that early on in the Gospels, and we see John out there, you know, uh, uh, in his, uh, just his attire, and man, I mean, eating locusts and wild honey, and uh, wild, wait, wild locusts and honey, I guess you would say. And man, I mean to tell you, he looks like a wild man out there, but he is preaching, repent, 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 for man, the Messiah has come. It's time to turn our hearts to Jesus Christ. And man, I mean to tell you, the Messiah was formally announced by, uh, to the nation by John. And then three, for three and a half years, the Lord Jesus Christ would travel up and down throughout the land. He preached the word of God and he spoke with authority. He didn't speak like the scribes did. No, no, not Jesus. He spoke with authority. He shared principles for holy living as he shared the Sermon on the Mount. He told stories that painted, painted truth in a very vivid and very unforgettable manner. He lifted the veil of the future in the Olivet Discourse, and he denounced the establishment by, that, that rejected him. He boldly claimed to be the Son of God. That didn't go over too good either, did it? So what was the secret of his holy boldness? What was the secret of his miraculous acts? Well, we find the answer in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. There's the secret. It's really not a secret because God makes it known to all of us, doesn't he? But the truth is, is that if you were asking, all right, Jesus, how is it that you went about healing all those people? How is it that you made such an impact in the culture in which you lived? How is it that you, before you died, really made a difference in the world? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. You say, but he was God. He didn't need the Spirit of God. Obviously, he did. And may I say that you and I need him as well. Again, it wasn't only what Jesus had declared that had set him apart and proved he was unlike any other. Of course, any other being anointed by the Holy Spirit, uniquely walking with God, of course. It was also what he had done. When Peter begins to sum up his astonishing three and a half years that he spent with Jesus. He makes this statement. He says this. He says, he went about doing good. What an epithet. I mean, what are they going to put on your tombstone? What are they going to put on my tombstone? Peter says, he went about doing good. It's amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ, those mighty miracles that he did, that demonstrated his deity. There was no doubt that as he performed those miracles, you couldn't help but think, wait a second, could he possibly be who he claims to be? Now, we've claimed to be a lot of things in our life, but we don't always back it up. But Jesus Christ backed it up. So what was the source of his amazing and miraculous life again? He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And as we said, the same anointing would have to accompany the disciples and those who would carry on the ministry and follow him as well. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. 
Let's be honest, the Holy Spirit is extremely neglected in our lives. We'd like to all believe that we're really close to God and we really serve Him with all this vigor. But the truth is, is that many times we are powerless because we fail to employ the power source, the Holy Spirit. We do so many things in our flesh. We're so comfortable with what we do. We've done it enough times. We're capable. We're able. We're competent. But what we're doing isn't life-changing. Why? Maybe it's because we're not doing it in the presence or, should I say, the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he tells the disciples here as he begins, the Lord Jesus Christ begins now to say, okay, it's time for me to go. I'm going to ascend back to the Father. I'm going to leave you with a couple instructions. Here they are in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. He's talking about the promise. What is the promise? We see in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, he's referring to the Lord, he's referring to the the Holy Spirit, the comforter that would come. And then in verse 8, he continues by saying, but ye shall receive power. Isn't that what I want? Isn't that what you want? But wait a second, why do we want it? I mean, why do you want power with God? Why do I want power with God? Is it so that we can, I, I can stand behind a pulpit and proclaim the message and watch hundreds of people walk the aisle and be saved and say, whoa, what a message. Is it so that you can somehow pray God's blessing upon you and your family and never have to worry about finances or never worry about health and God will just supernaturally intervene? You have the power of God. Is it, what's it really about? Why is, is it that we want this power? If we had this power, what would we do with it? Well, I know one thing. I, my, me and my family wouldn't go without anything. Well, maybe that's why we don't have it. Because it's never been about you and your family. It's really not about the preacher. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about accomplishing His mission. It's about reaching the people that He came to seek and to save. It's about doing the miracles that God wants to do and to truly change this world and to make them Christ-like because He deserves the loyalty of all mankind. He deserves the praise and the honor. He deserves the glory of all mankind, even the lost. Owe it to God to bow on their knees. And every time we have the privilege of leading someone to Christ, we just simply bring them to the God who they should have already been bowing to. He deserves that. We owe that to Him. He's our Creator, our God. If for no other reason, even without salvation, we should be bowing before Him. How much more seeing that we are his child and we're treated with such grace and mercy. But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Again, in the passage, we see the master. You say, the master? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? The Bible tells us that he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The fact is is that Jesus Christ lives in you and he lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Literally, Christ lives in you. The very Christ that walked those dusty trails of Galilee. He lives inside you. And he lives inside me today. That's amazing to think of that, isn't it? To wrap our minds around the reality that the God who created the universe lives inside me. I can't even, I can't hardly imagine it. But the Bible says it's so. There's a lot of things I don't understand about the Bible. There's a lot of things I can't wrap my mind around. There's so many things that are just beyond my finite abilities. And this being one of them, but yet he lives in me. And he lives in you if you know Christ as your Savior. The master, right there in the first portion, he comes to them. He says, listen, he says right off the bat, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We see the might. Again, there's the power. We see the mission, a worldwide witness. So we have the master, the might, and the mission. And may I say that before we can ever accomplish the mission, we need the might or the power. But before we ever receive the power, we need the master, the Holy Spirit of God in his great power that anoints us to accomplish the calling of God in our lives. So we said, okay, so, you know, what part does the Holy Spirit play when it comes to to this incarnation. We said, well, he performs all the mighty works that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus performed all his mighty works in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for, number five, he was anointed to preach by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed. The Lord Jesus was anointed to preach. Not only did he go about doing good, not only did he do the miraculous things we read about in Scripture, but he was anointed to preach by the Holy Spirit. Now, turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 61, please. Isaiah chapter 61 in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah would record one of the most well-known messianic prophecies in history. We see that here. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The passage reads, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Christ would stand in the synagogue 700 years later in the book of Luke chapter 4 verse 18. And there he would read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus would basically, he would tell those onlookers that the prophecy that was there in Isaiah 61 that was being read from was fulfilled in their very ears that day. Guess what, guys? I'm reading it, and I'm telling you, I'm the one it's talking about. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Can you imagine? I'd go into a church somewhere maybe, and, and I start reading Isaiah 61, and I read that passage, and I get to the end of it, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, and I stop and say, by the way, that scripture has been fulfilled in me today. People be like, 
What? You? Wouldn't mean a whole lot. But boy, when Jesus stood and said that, it meant a lot. It was the truth. By the way, people didn't appreciate the fact that he was claiming to be God, by the way. That he was claiming to be the Messiah, the promised one. They didn't appreciate that. But he says, listen, I'm just telling you right now, that prophecy is fulfilled in your ears today. That's, that's, it's talking about me. And you know what that prophecy points out? That the Lord's preaching was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. The preaching went forth not only in word, but it went forth in power, power of the Holy Ghost. We talk often about knocking doors and, and teaching Sunday school or preaching a message or something to that nature. And we talk about just even talking to a family member or a friend about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, listen, it's important that you have the plan down. It's important that you, have a, a, that, that you can present it competently and, 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 and clearly. But let me tell you something. You and I both know, and we've all been there where we presented it, and it didn't seem to do what we thought it should do. I'm telling you, without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to. And we got to start praying, and we've got to beg God to get in on this thing, because if he's not in on it, it doesn't matter what our plans are. It isn't going to happen. And too many times we have a plan, we, we got to stop asking God to come alongside us. We just need to get alongside him. Boy, if we'll just get alongside him, we'll be amazed what will take place, what will happen. But it has to be in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a group of pastors that had assembled to discuss who they should invite to speak at their upcoming city revival. It's a number of years ago. And a man by the name of D.L. Moody came up, and, well, there were some objections as well. A pastor protested, and he said, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated and experienced and, well, rather plain. He doesn't, doesn't he? I mean, who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? It was then that another preacher stood and said, well, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. That's something. Wouldn't you love that to be your testimony? Wouldn't I love that to be my testimony? Well, you think you got a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Someone says, it, oh, well, no, you don't think that, but the Holy Spirit's got a monopoly on him. You've got to figure it out. Only spirit-filled preaching produces eternal results. From power through prayer, he inbounds. He says the life-giving preacher is a man of God whose soul is continually following after God. The preaching which kills is non-spiritual preaching. The ability of the preaching is not from God. Lower sources than God have given it energy and stimulant. He goes on to say, the preaching which kills is the letter. It may be shaped and orderly, but it is the letter still, the dry, husky letter, the empty, bald shell. The letter may have the germ of life in it, but it has no breath of spring to evoke it. This letter preaching has the truth. 
But even divine truth has no life-giving energy alone. It must be energized by the Spirit with all God's forces behind it. Truth unquickened by God's Spirit deadens as much as or more than error. Did you hear that? Listen to that again. That last phrase is unbelievable. Truth unquickened by God's Spirit deadens as much as or more than error. Do you know what he's saying tonight? What this man that we're reading from that lived so many years ago is saying? He's saying as he studied his Bible, as he's done his research, he realizes in his ministry and in his life that the Spirit of God must infuse itself with the very message. That the message alone without the presence and the quickening power of the Holy Spirit will not produce the life force that we want. And then he goes on to say that not only is that the case, but if we do not infuse the Holy Spirit with those words and that message, that that attempt that we make to win people will only probably harden them more. We've been better off to tell them a lie than to give them the truth without the power behind it. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that? And you think about all the times that we talk to people about the Lord and we haven't even prayed in a day. How many times have you and I passed out a track and our heart isn't really in tune with Christ? Oh, we're not praying without ceasing. We're not in a spirit of prayer potentially. Oh, we go about saying, well, I'm doing all the things in the Christian life. I mean, I'm in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I mean, I even teach Sunday school. I prepare a lesson. I went out soul winning on Saturday. I did everything I'm supposed to do, so obviously I'm a good Christian. But there's no power in our life. And when we share the truth of the Word of God, we could just be sending people right to hell. Because they don't see God in it. Man, I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I am so burdened for our country. I'm burdened for our culture. I'm burdened for our churches. Why? Because just like you, I am sick and tired of giving out the message and telling people the gospel and not seeing God work. Aren't you bothered by it? Where's the change? Where's the transformation? But then again, in our own lives, sometimes it's just ho-hum. We go about doing our business. We've got all the right answers. But where's that sweet fellowship with him? Where's it at? We lack it more than we would like to admit, I think. You say, you're supposed to be the preacher. You're supposed to have this all figured out. Do you know what I am first and foremost? A man. Can I tell you tonight that it is a battle to stay close to him? It's a battle because all the forces of hell are opposed to it. And if we are not going to isolate or should I say saturate ourselves with the things of Christ, there is no way we're going to be able to just get up on a Saturday morning and go out and knock a door and have the power of God in our life. We're going to have to live it through the week and not just live it like, well, I'm not doing the bad sins. I mean, we have to pursue Christ. Jesus Christ was anointed to preach by the Holy Spirit. 
man, preacher, pray for my loved one. They need Christ. Okay, I'll do that. Will you go talk to them, anointed in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Because if you don't, my prayers aren't going to make the difference. We got to get to where we understand our responsibility in this process. We've got to turn our life to Christ. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. We've got to stop trying to do it in our flesh and our own strength. We can't want the world and Christ. We're going to have to make a decision. And maybe that doesn't apply to you tonight. Maybe you've already set aside your life. You've sanctified yourself, so to speak. You are living that life. You are living on topside consistently and totally. You never are struggling with that. Praise God for you, my friend. But I'm telling you, it's a battle sometimes for me. Man, the world's got a grip, doesn't it? I was listening to stupid statistics the other day. I was going through situations that are going on. I, I'm like you. I've got family and friends in hospitals. I've got situations going on. And I think sometimes, man, I get overwhelmed with life sometimes. But when I start thinking about me and not others and my priority isn't him, first and foremost, then, man, what hope does anybody have if I talk to him about the, the Lord Jesus Christ? And he's got to be first in my life, and I've got to focus on him. We've got to be yielded. We can't say, I don't have time for prayer today. I don't have time for Bible reading. I don't have time for study. I don't have time to memorize. I don't have time to saturate myself with him in his presence. I want to spend time with him. i got a lovely wife. Can I tell you, nobody has to ask me to spend time with her. Nobody has to force me. Nobody has to nudge me. Nobody has to push me along. Man, I can't wait. I'm ready. Spend a little time. I'm good. You want to go out to eat? Great. You want to sit down and eat in the house? That's fine. You want to just hang out? Sure. But what about meeting with Christ? What about meeting with Him? Does somebody got to nudge me? Does somebody got to push me along? Do I have to motivate myself to meet with the Master? Boy, I hope not. I don't want to be like that. I know you don't either. But when that world gets in our lives, sometimes it's a chore, if we'll be honest. But it ought not to be. There's too much at stake, folks. There is a lot at stake here. When Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, the Holy Spirit of God is involved in the process in his life consistently, totally. He was anointed to preach by the Holy Spirit. He couldn't accomplish his message without the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't perform the mighty miracles that he did without the power of the Holy Ghost. And I can't live my life like I ought to without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't speak with the power that I need to, to truly be a conduit of God's mercy and grace without the power of the Holy Spirit, and neither can you. What hope does our world have without you and me today? Oh, I know everybody say, well, it's the Lord. Yeah, but the Lord uses instruments. and that, Those instruments are us tonight. What hope is there if we are not yielded and permitting him to 
guide us as he chooses with his hand. The Holy Spirit of God, Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, I, I thank you, Father, that in our lives we have experienced your presence and power. But Lord, sometimes, Lord, there's no doubt that we can be going on in life and recognize and realize that maybe we've gotten ahead of you or maybe we've not, in, we've not joined you. We've sought you to join us. Father, help us not to take for granted the privilege and the opportunity that we have as believers to enjoy your presence, to, to experience your power, to, to enable us to accomplish the calling that you've given us. It's not an impossible task as long as we employ the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As long as we don't seek to do it in our own flesh, in our own strength, we can do exactly what you've called us to do. For that, we're thankful. Lord, help us to be the husbands, the wives, the children, the workers, the bosses. Help us to be the family members, the friends that we ought to be. We can't do that without your power, and your power comes through the person of your Holy Spirit, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would be real in our lives. Help us to yield to him, be given to him, Allow him to use us mightily for your glory, your honor, not for our own benefit, but for your good. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed.